Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. This is a special edition of Last Things First, recorded live during Clusterfest 2018 in San Francisco. Comedy Central was kind enough to ask me to host a series of Clusterfest panels for the media that they called Fireside Chats. In this session, I welcome Sashir Zamata, Roy Wood Jr., and Mark Normand. We joked about whether comedians should ever apologize, about getting advice from comedians at the top of the ladder as you're climbing it, and preparing for the next big thing in your careers. All that and more in this episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First. So let's get to it! Welcome back to the Clusterfest Fireside Chats. My name is Sean McCarthy, editor of thecomicscomic.com, and I'm here with three out of my four favorite people of the afternoon. Uh, I may know her still as one-third of the improv supergroup Doppelganger. Is this here, Zamata? Yes. Uh, you may know him as a correspondent for The Daily Show with Trevor Noah and the host of Comedy Central's This Is Not Happening, Roy Wood Jr. Hello. Hello. And he's the co-host of the popular podcast oh, Tuesdays with geez. Stories. And he had a one-hour special on Comedy Central presented by Amy Schumer. Don't be yourself, Mark Normand. Hey, hey. Yes. Comedy. So... Welcome to Clusterfest. Hello. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for the welcome. It's Quite good. a turnout here. This looks like the Starbucks yes, uh, racial meetings. <laughs> <you know>. Diversity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let's let's start with the newsiest question that I, I did warn at least one of you about. Um, this was a week for comedians making high-profile apologies. And I want to know, <laughs> not your opinions about their apologies per se, but is there anything you would ever apologize for in your act? In my act? No. That's yeah. why it's in the act. <laughs> but uh, outside of the act, good Lord. Yeah, a lot of horrible things. Which is why I try not to say crazy stuff off the stage. Mm-hmm. The stage is the secret baptism waters where you can say weird stuff. And it's received differently because you can, you're seen. There's body language. There's vocal inflection. There's a lot of things that... There's a lot of other things that go into it versus how somebody reads it. Now, if somebody wants to go and dig up a prank call or something crazy from 2002 and you go, yeah, it was wrong. All right, fine. I'm sorry. But also didn't do that now in the present. So let's accept the fact that people mature and people sometimes educate themselves and they are not who they were. I think a lot of the issues now is that we're trying to hold people accountable for their past instead of assessing who they are in the present. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here, here. less of a understanding that people grow as people and artists and when you do that unless it's someone who's like habitually making the same mistake over and over (laughs) and over again then yes please call them out get them out but if it's like they did this one thing years ago and they didn't realize that it was going to blow up like this or they didn't realize how wrong they were but now they wouldn't make the same mistake it's like i don't know give a chance how is how is your own, each of you individual, how has your own approach to social media changed as you've become more popular? 
I did a um, prank show for ABC. It was like three episodes, and because it's Disney, they made me scrub my Twitter. They like mm. would, they went all the way back to when I started Twitter and like found every single tweet that could even be interpreted as <laughs> sexual or lewd or something, and they were like, "Get rid of it." And so I so I was already pre-scrubbed for a while, <laughs> and then after that, I was like, "I'm just gonna like keep it pretty tame in general, just in case something like that happens again." Yeah, when I started The Daily Show, before it went public, I kind of did that personally myself, and I was shocked. I didn't find a lot. <laughs> you were expecting to find more? Well, you know, I had a lot of N-word tweets. That's okay for That's you. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I was... You can, you can do that. Yeah, I feel like that was fine. Yeah. I still deleted those. I really? Those down. Yeah, I was like, Aww. you know what? I don't feel like arguing with people. Don't but let them win. Other than that, I felt like it was it was fine. Like, there wasn't a lot that I had to, like, go and uh, let me cover up. Well, although for you, I, I don't want to uh, reveal too much, but you also have multiple Facebook profiles. Correct. I have a fan page, and then I have a separate private Facebook page, which is just literally me and high school buddies and people that I know, where I can kind of kick back and, you know, act a little bit more of a fool right. in a controlled environment. And that's kind of where I can kind of take the gloves off a little bit and be a little more sillier with friends. But, you know, outside of the prank phone calls that I did that I don't think were ever really that far on the fringe, mm-hmm. I don't really have enough of a past. Well, comedically, I was never habitually on the fringe anyway. Okay. So I think I was okay. What about for you, Mark? I actually took a big hit. I was uh, writing for Roseanne. No. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> No, I don't know. I could have seen I, you I, getting a job writing for Roseanne. That's no, a, no. I was just, I just tweet jokes. That's all I tweet. I don't mm-hmm. put opinions out there really. So I feel like everything's in the in the <laughs> bubble of humor, mm-hmm. kind of. And then Facebook, I rarely touch. And yeah, Instagram is just photos. What? Like I don't get too crazy. For you though, Mark, uh, you, do you still uh, tour with Amy? Uh, every now and then she'll but, throw me a bone. But as Amy was blowing up, Amy Schumer, yeah. you were you were often touring with her, mm-hmm. so you got to see that phenomenon indirectly. What, what, the, what did you What did you learn about show business, about the media, about culture from seeing one of your friends become super popular, and then watching how everybody reacted to that? I learned you gotta once you get that big, they come after you. They take you when you're on the top. She's been saying horrible stuff her whole life, and everybody loved her. And then they're like, oh, now she's huge. We can take her down. That's what this country does. Mm-hmm. That's why I'll never get big. <laughs> does, it, does it change how you approach the business side of, of comedy, though? Nah, not really. You know, just try to be nice to everybody and don't touch anyone. And uh, try to write, try to be funny and just own it the whole way like she apologized a few times which i would have not done but then again she's a zillionaire and i'm uh here <laughs> actually you're both here what's you're, that you're both here i'm in this room oh but, right yeah. right amy amy gets to de- decline the fireside yeah. oh yeah she's hanging out with aquafina right now yeah. <laughs> uh Roy, tell us tell us about what it was like taking over the comedy central show this is not happening you were not the original no, it was Ari Shafir for three years, and then Comedy Central gave me a call to go, hey, season four, would you like to host this show that's not yours? And go, I don't did, know. You, did you think this is not happening, literally? Yeah, I was like, this is not happening, this isn't real. And I had a long talk with Ari Shafir, and that was he was the first person I called. Before I called agents, managers, anybody else, 
I had a long talk with Ari and he talked about being at peace with the transition and him going over to Netflix and doing everything with his show. And thankfully, I had already worked stories for the show for the first two seasons. So I wasn't a stranger to the process and how to build material for the show. And for me, hosting This Is Not Happening has been first and foremost about honoring what Ari built. Ari built a show that was built around storytelling. And even now to this day, across the dial, across all streaming platforms, it is the only storytelling stand-up showcase show that exists. How about that? So that's special. That's something very relevant. So for me, it was about making sure that I did the show as well as Ari would have done. And granted, that's his wheelhouse, and that Mm -hmm. was something that I dabble in, but that wasn't what I built my career on. And just working hard to make sure that I did a good job, and, you know, thankfully a lot of good comics still stayed on board, and the show, you know, ratings-wise from this last season, did really well. And so, thankfully, the fans are still into it, even though they have a new Aunt Viv, as I like to call it. <laughs> you know, we went from the dark-skinned Aunt Viv. I'm the new, I'm the light-skinned Aunt Viv. <laughs> so, thankfully, they stayed on board and stuck with it. And then for your stand-up, I mean, I did rank your stand-up special as one of the best do you do you feel like do you feel like hosting this is not happening changed like learning developing that storytelling muscle had an influence in your newer stand-up 100 percent um i think this is not happening gave me the comfort in building a story and being okay with the silence and being okay with spots where you're laying foundation for something that you trust is going to be funny later and I would actually have to give, also give credit to The Daily Show because what we do with The Daily Show, it's not so much about the joke as much as it is what you're trying to say, what point are you trying to make mm. beyond the punchline and making sure that all of my jokes carry that gravity as well, which was something before The Daily Show. You can go back and pull up all my old stuff online and watch stuff before 2015 and compare it to the special, and it's night and day. And I think a lot of that influence had to do with The Daily Show and This Is Not Happening, which I think ultimately made me a better comic. So, Sheer, you were doing uh, some really popular web series before people got to see you on TV. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Pursuit of Sexiness. Yeah. And wasn't that directed by the same uh, guy who's doing uh, Tracy Morgan's show? The last OG? Um, um, oh, do you mean she okay? Yeah. Well, I think a few people directed last OG. Um, oh, I thought he directed all of it. He, I, think he, I think he did four episodes okay. but no he didn't direct Pursuit of Sexiness but he did direct um, a, a video that I did uh, where I talk about being flashed on the street and he also directed my special which was on CISO called Pizza Mine CISO was a platform that existed for 18 months yeah and uh, when when that went away did did you have to talk with your reps about what happens to Pizza Mind or how did for sure yeah it was a lot of talks um, it's on Amazon now okay that's where it ended up landing th- thankfully and uh, and all the also the physical copies of the album and stuff are there too, uh, but yeah, it was like a, a long like oh we weren't expecting this <laughs> kind of thing, and I think every you know every show and every special was trying to find a home, but I feel I feel like most of the things that were there landed somewhere. Why why did you feel it was important in Peace of Mind to introduce to include like reenactments and animation? I really like special. I like uh, being able to bend the form. I don't think it has to be a certain way when you're doing your special. Also, I was, I'm a big fan of Sarah Silverman, and she does a lot of like sketches and music in her All right, like Jesus specials. is magic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I wanted to kind of play with that. And I also had 
these bits. Like I, I, uh, I do stand up, but also like come from like a character world and improv and stuff. And so I had these bits that I loved and wanted to do something with, but didn't really know where to put them. And so I kind of found a way to include them into the material too. Now you, you have your show party time. Yeah. So she made a party time. Um, tell us about taking it from the basements of Brooklyn to festivals. What's that experience like? It's been great. I've been doing it for four years. It's a variety show and I host and then there's usually three comics and then we have a game, like a party game and then there's also music and uh, yeah, it's just been a blast and I've just been trying to have a way to like showcase comedians that I really love and enjoy and then also have fun and in the last year we've been like taking out on the road and going to different festivals and whatnot and it's been super fun yeah how but how, does the show change at all when you when it you take it out of park slope brooklyn and no and bring we do, it to do downtown exactly san francisco the same thing. no none of the none of the stuff we're doing is brooklyn related so it's, it's not it's not specific to where we are it's just like i just need people to be there okay and you know the base of the of the show is kind of like truth so there's a lot of like games where we're trying to connect to the audience and like reveal our truth and and just have a good time. One of the other things here at Clusterfest is the Donald J. Trump presidential Twitter <laughs> library. <laughs> Which Roy, Roy yeah. you've uh, had some experience over there? Yeah, you know, we're we're touring the library and you know San Francisco is to stop and basically it's a curated museum of all of the best of Donald Trump's worst tweets. <laughs> The best tweets, the best of the worst tweets, and they're grouped off based on, you know, his confrontations with celebrities, tweets where he has given his opinion on stuff, tweets where he's contradicted himself, tweets he's deleted, and we just curated, you know, our digital expansion team basically worked hard over a course of months of just looking at all of his tweets and basically grouping them into policy and insults and everything that makes our president the president, and it's like, it's... The way, the only way I try to describe it to people is, it's like walking through the president's brain mm. and just seeing all of the beautiful things that goes on in his mind at any given time. What about it is beautiful? Porn stars. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's it's beautiful that the same person who can call Kim Jong-un a nickname and now be friends with him enough to meet him for foreign policy, big hi-hat meeting, is also the same person who tweeted, quote, I've never seen a thin person drinking Diet Coke. Hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. Also, he likes Michael Douglas. Really? And we know this because he tweeted it. So yeah, it's 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 a it's a wonderful wonderful exhibit. Does, does the library include his uh, long running commentary on the on again off again relationship with Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson? Oh, absolutely. That's okay. In the I want to make sure that that was oh, part of course. We talk about his love affair with Sean Hannity. We talk mm-hmm. about everything. Oh, mm-hmm. oh my God, everything with Obama and the birtherism. There's a whole separate exhibit of just tweets of him. Tweet. Barack Obama is the single person that he's tweeted about the most out of everyone that Donald Trump has ever added on Twitter. He's added Barack Obama the most well over 2,000 times. Oh, wow. He must really care then. Yeah. Wow. Uh, he loves him. I know there's some other journalists in the room. Is there, is there anybody who has a question? Mm, mm-hmm. Oh, all right. Then we'll keep going. <laughs> um, you know, Clusterfest is, is one of these gatherings where it brings a whole bunch of different people together because it's not just comedy. It's also music. There's also 
traveling shows like the Arrested Development stuff and Patty's Pub. Mm-hmm. What what are you most interested in, in experiencing here aside from your own shows? Me? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, I just like seeing all the good comedy. They, they booked well this year, so you mm-hmm. get to see, uh, you know, like a Jim Jeffries or a Mulaney or a or a Roy or a Sesh. You know, you get to see fun. You know, we're always running around on the road, so it's right. fun to be able to same place as yeah. all these great acts. I've never seen Lonely Island. That was amazing. So uh, that's fun. Yeah, it's almost like a class reunion for comedians where you get to see all your buddies who you never get to tour with and right. you never get on the road we're like it's you it's you <laughs> like i was hype about Jesus and Mero. i've never seen their live show before i'm huge fans of what they do and so to be able to see a little bit of what they've done and see more of what they're going to do this weekend you know that's awesome like mm-hmm. that's not something you get to take in on a regular basis i also enjoyed the comedy central up next showcases because I like seeing young, motivated comics because it makes me remember like why I, why I do this. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> you can get caught up in the business side of all of this and you can forget about just the sheer joy of performing. Uh, I was mentioning this to you guys offstage, but do you feel watching the Up Next showcases that it's almost like a competing thing with Montreal's New Faces or is it something completely different? No, there's so much comedy now that it, you, you can have a bunch of avenues I think it's fine. Yeah, I, and competing in the sense that Montreal New Faces is the only avenue for a new comedian to be exposed and to be seen by the industry. No, I don't think it competes in that sense because I think any agent or any talent book or any TV network that's really looking for new talent, they're looking year-round. It ain't 1997 no more. You're not waiting to go to Montreal to see, okay, who are the new people? Because we have no computers. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you're if you're worth a damn mm-hmm. in this business, you're looking year round at who the new talent is, and I think it's dope because it gives an opportunity to the audiences to discover new people as well. Because ultimately, we need people to continue being fans of this art form in order for it to live on. So it can't just be Montreal where new people are discovered. We need people at all times to be informed of who the new, you know, acts to watch. Right. Yeah, and Montreal's really dropped the ball on the new faces, I think. So this is nice. Drop the ball. Controversial. Drop the ball. (laughs) They're not what it used to be, you know? I've already done it, so I can talk like (laughs) this. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel like uh, they just book people with seven credits now. It's not really a new face. Right. Yeah, a lot of the new faces we've already seen before. (laughs) Yeah. Or they're currently on TV. I saw saw Dick Cavett on one. It's it's getting out of hand. (laughs) So Dave Chappelle on new faces. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, Shira, I know you just got in today, but uh, what are you, aside from ending this session and getting out of here, what are you excited about seeing (laughs) around around? Um, around San Francisco. Yeah, I'm really excited to leave this room. Uh, no, I'm just uh, <laughs> I just did Lost Culturistas, and that was super fun. It's always very fun. Uh, I'm excited to see your uh, karaoke night. Oh, I'm not. Oh, Roy's hosting much. karaoke. Yeah, yeah. karaoke. Oh, that sounds yeah. like a nightmare. Yeah, it's fun, but you just bring out fans of stand up and just let them embarrass themselves. Oh, all right. Oh, it's great. I love I'll that. Do a <laughs> did you take that from Ari, too? <laughs> <laughs> You didn't. No, no, I didn't. Okay. no, no. You're waiting for a real answer. <laughs> um, 
So Sheer, I, I know now that you're, you're not on TV on a regular basis, have you gotten any kind of um, advice or insight from other former cast members in terms of like how to manage or guide your career in this phase of it? Ooh, yeah. Um, when Tracy Morgan hosted SNL, when he, like, it was like after his accident, it was like a really big deal. He was in my office, and I mean, he's just a kind person in general, but mm-hmm. it was really nice because he was like, he said, you need to stop being thankful. Like, be grateful for what you have, be thankful for what the things that, pe- that people have given you, but after a while, you need to start showing your teeth and just stop being thankful and go get what you, what you deserve. And I was like, fuck yeah, <laughs> I agree. Um, so yeah, that was really wonderful. <laughs> Um, I mean, yeah, there's been so many nice moments that people, Amy's been super supportive of me. I mean, I feel pretty and like, uh, yeah, yeah, she's been super wonderful over years. Um, but yeah, most people are just like, keep doing what you're doing. What do you want to be doing at this, at this point? Movies. Uh, I want to have another special. I want to direct. I want to produce. Uh, I want to act more. I'm I'm in a movie that I filmed last year called The Weekend. That's going to make the festival festival run starting this fall. Oh, nice! Yeah, so I'm very excited What's that about movie that. About? It's I play a stand up, and uh, it's like a love triangle thing. Tone Bell's in it too, so he's my love interest. But he has a girlfriend. Uh oh. Uh oh. These men shit. <laughs> I invite him to my mom's bed and breakfast, and he brings his girlfriend, and it's a really awkward weekend. Oh, but yeah, fun. I'm excited. But lots of laughs ensue. Lots of laughs. And I think it's, yeah, I think it's really good. This director and writer, Stella McGee, is amazing. And she's going to pop off and blow up very soon. What's it like to play a comedian in a TV show or movie? It's interesting because usually the person who is um, writing it is not a comedian. Or, like, not, like, a stand-up. So mm-hmm. it's interesting to, like, hear someone else's perspective of, this is what a stand-up would say, or, like, this is what they would do. And then to, and thankfully, I was allowed a lot of leeway to put my input in there, too, and be like, actually, I think it would be more like this. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's interesting to see what other people think. I've also, like, seen other movies where people are like, this is the stand-up life. And I'm like, what are you, why? <laughs> what are you doing? And also, why do you think it needs to be displayed like this? Like, I, I saw, well, I won't say what it was, but I, I've just seen a lot of things where... We can get into it. <laughs> I just get, us. Yeah, it was just nobody, us. Yeah? I just There's get annoyed when I see a lot of people try to portray female comedians in a way that's like... We have to be hard as nails, and also we're damaged because we have daddy issues. We're going to drink and fuck all the time. And it's like, not all of us are like that. <laughs> not everyone needs to put out their energy like that. Some are, but I don't know. Mark? I'd, I'd like to put <laughs> She's talking about the movie Punchline. <laughs> I just want more of a human aspect to be added mm-hmm. to that instead of the caricature. What, what about you guys in terms of like seeing TV shows or, or movies that depict stand-up? It, it never works. It's always weird. It rarely comes off normal. Mm-hmm. Pete Holmes has a show on HBO called Crashing, which is the story of, I guess, a divorced man and mm-hmm. his, his rise through the New York story comedy. Ten years ago. The only thing that's off about Crashing, and I like the show and I laugh at it, the only thing that's off about it is the accelerated pace at which his character ascends through the comedy world. Mm. Like that part of it, I'm like, no, you yeah. do not go from begging people on a corner to come watch your comedy to four episodes later, you're doing warm up for Rachel Ray. It's like, right. no. Sleeping at Artie Lang's house. <laughs> you know? Crazy. But it's probably as far as 
what's on TV or what's ever been depicted of the art form of stand-up, probably the most accurate. Yeah. Outside of the timetable, and I get it, it's TV, you got to accelerate shit, but in terms of just, oh, yeah, you take this and then you put, you know, you know another show that does it well? Is um, the wonderful Miss Maisel? Oh right, right. Yeah, on Amazon. On Amazon. Oh my God. Portraying stand up in the late fifties, early sixties. Yo, I know it's a fictional person, but she does like the way the writers show her going through pain for the first half of the episode, and then the back half of the episode, her taking that scene from Act Two and putting it on stage and making it funny. I go, okay, that's real. That's how you take some something deep and dark that hurt you. And make it funny and expose yourself on stage. So it's probably as accurate as crashing. All right. Well, I think, you know, Roy, you and I have talked about this before. I think part of why you're so great now is because it took you several years to get here. <laughs> yeah. Like, so you, I feel like. About 18 you, to 20-ish. Yeah. Give it 18 take. to 20 years. So, oh so by the time you actually got the, the Daily Show, it wasn't like you were a spring chicken, 25 years old, going, oh, it's my, my big break. It's like you were ready for it. So yeah. when you had that first night, on Trevor's first night, like you got as much press as he did. Yeah. Almost. I, I feel like it's important with any opportunity you get to capitalize on it as quickly as possible. And that's all I've ever tried to do with anything that I've done. And, you know, which is why I look at, you know, I try to talk to a lot of young comedians that have done more in a shorter time frame, you know, there are a lot of comics who are maybe three, four. I think Chris Rock is the old Rolling Stone interview. I think he handicapped it at about three years for the average comic to get a TV credit, whereas in his days it was almost 10. Mm. And so, you know, I meet a lot of comics who are, you know, six, seven years in, and they're doing way more than I was doing at the same mile marker and just making sure that they stay focused and know that what they're doing that's not the norm and you have to remain hungry and you know you you have to be ravenous creatively ravenous at all times and that's something that i've just it's just never left me because i'm at a point in my career where i don't know where the next thing is going to come from or if there will be a next thing whereas if you start and you start getting good you start getting dope credits four or five years in then you're probably a little more lax and thinking that X, Y, Z is also going to happen for you down the road. The thing that I'm very grateful for career-wise is that early on when you're on the road, I started as a Southern comic on the road for almost 10 years, and you meet comedians at different mile markers in their career, some on the come up, some on the come down, and you see that failure is clearly an option. You see that failure is clearly an option. You see that people have ascended and are now descending. Right. And so now the concept of a creative descent is real. So now that fear is buried in me and that's what I'm constantly running from. So that's why I try to just, you know, take advantage of every opportunity. Well, that's when it helps to, to remember what Tracy told Sashir. You, know, you get, go out and get it. Yeah. <laughs> go out and get go it. Go out and get it, Sashir. <laughs> Show your teeth. <laughs> Go get it immediately. Well, thankfully, you all have TV credits, and we'll have more TV credits in the future because you're all great. And thank you so much for being here. Sashir, Roy, Mark. Thank, thank you. you. Good times. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. 
Theme music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Things first.